coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Beep, beep, boop, boop, retro revival games. Beep, beep. It's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers. I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going pretty good. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that going good. I, it's good, and we're going it, and I feel it, and I'm excited to talk to you about games today. Yeah, me too. Um, games are good. Games are fun. Uh, sometimes they remind us of things from when we were children and how we had fun with them then. But we'll get there. We will, in fact, get there. In the meantime, though, if you would please uh, do us a favor, and I consider it a personal favor. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you could rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We are trying to get to 50 reviews on Apple Podcasts because that may get us into E3. E3 eligible. Yes. Um, we, we will be able mm-hmm. to submit an application. That's right. Uh, and they will see the application. Someone will have to look at it to read our name and say, probably not this year, guys. But that'll be fun, right? It'll be exciting. So if you could do that, that would mean uh, the world to us. We uh, appreciate it greatly. But if you would like something from us, something from me in particular, you could borrow my copy of Sonic Forces. All you need to do to do that, if I ever get this copy of Sonic Forces back, is to send your address to... Our email address, Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com. And I send it right to you if it ever comes back to me. Also, red alert because there are precious few days for you to send us your wish list for a theoretical Game Boy Classic Edition. That's right. Were there enough qualifiers in that sentence? I think probably there could have been maybe possibly a little bit more. Yeah, we are doing, we are going to come up with our own Game Boy Classic Editions. You know what Classic Edition is. You tried really hard to get an NES Classic Edition or an SNES Classic Edition, and some of you succeeded. But this is all going to be in our head, so we will all succeed in this exercise. We're coming up with Game Boy Classics that'll have how many games on it? 15. 15 games. And these games are from what library? Game Boy and Game Boy Color only. Not Game Boy Advance. We all know that that's something different. Something different doesn't count as Game Boy. And you can send us a list of up to 15 games. So if you're really, you know, uh, England for just one game to mm-hmm. be in there, mm-hmm. send that one game. You don't yeah. need to send a complete list of 15. Right. And if you just want to make sure that we are not putting Looney Tunes Crazy Castle, it's not the name of that game, Looney Tunes something, Bugs Bunnies, maybe Crazy Castle. Why do I want Crazy Castle to be in the name of this game? It's catchy. It might be. Um, you, can, you, can, you can throw that out too and just be like, hey guys, don't, don't put that game on there. And we'll see if we listen to you. Yeah, but try to send those in by Sunday afternoon. Right. So you've got only a couple days now. You can email that to Nintendo Cartridge Society at gmail.com. Help us make this list the best list it can be. Mark, are you ready to talk about retro revival games? Yeah, I think I am. All right, let's dig into it. 
Mark, what are we even talking about? Retro revival. What does that mean? Well, uh, especially I feel like with the boom uh, in indie games mm-hmm. in the, I guess, probably like past five or ten years, uh, we see a lot of creators who are making games that uh, harken back to games from 20, maybe 30 years ago. Years ago, so we're talking like pixel art. Yep, we're talking uh, yeah, specifically eight and sixteen bit beats and beeps and boops, beeps and boops. So I think the, a lot of what's six or uh, eight bit is sort of like the vogue, like in vogue graphic style. But I feel like a lot of it ends up borrowing more from sixteen bit uh, graphical styles, and part of that is just like you know there are and. They all cheat, right? They all cheat the color palette. They all cheat, um, you know, how many different layers of stuff that you can have on the screen at any one time. Um, and even in games like um, Stardew Valley, you know, the the sprites are um, the sprites are all like honest, but like it moves through the moves through the world in a you know in a not like pixel by pixel way, um, so that like movement maybe seems like a little bit smoother than than you're used to seeing but these are games that are trying to be evocative of a certain time um of a certain style of game right and so it's basically the late 80s and early 90s right that's that's the sweet spot where or that that i'm responding to um you and i were talking about this just on tuesday's episode that it seems like there is starting to be a polar nostalgia for the late 90s and like early 2000s. Yeah, like early 3D games, early, uh, the yeah. PS1, the N64. But I almost feel like those, like we talked about, usually constitute a remake. Yeah. Um, or like in, in their like, uh, in iterating on those ideas, cleaning up the presentation considerably. So like, you know, we were talking about Crash Bandicoot and Spyro the Dragon, both of those like trilogy remakes. Um, but also like Ukulele, which is, you know, in effect a, a sequel to Banjo Kazooie, um, looks way better than yeah. I'm not better, I guess. The design is very very similar, but just in terms of like graphical fidelity, is uh, way more technically proficient than Banjo Kazooie ever was. Um, but those that doesn't feel that's a different kind of retro revival than I think you or I are really responding to. Um, we want to be focused on those games that make us feel like we are 12 years old or younger. Um, and, uh, so we thought we would go through, cause there are a bunch of these things on, um, Nintendo platforms right now, specifically on switch. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of those, I think all of them, nope, I'm wrong. <coughs> a lot of these are indie games, um, with no huge publisher behind them, but there are some exceptions. Um, so Mark, what, what, uh, what do you look for in one of these like retro style games? Like what, what kind of retro are you looking for? So it's definitely, I would say more in that 16 bit or the, uh, that gray area where right, a lot but, of games find themselves in. Yeah. Um, cause you know, the Super Nintendo and for, by that same token, the Game Boy Advance that mm-hmm. sort of like 16-bit look is what I have the most fond memory for. And so retro, these like games that ape that style mm-hmm. are hitting like exactly in my wheelhouse. Um, so is there a, 
and I have to think about this too, is there a style of gameplay that you are associating with the graphical style that you want to see like these uh these games in like is is there a gameplay style that um a lot of these like have in common that you like keep going back to? I don't think so. I think for me it's a, a lot of aesthetics because uh a platformer like Sonic Mania, mm-hmm. you know, does that for me even though I didn't own a Genesis and didn't play really any Sonic games. Yeah. Like I still I still get that same um yeah, like you endorphin still dump yeah, mm-hmm. basically. Uh like so no, like platformers, RPGs, um a farm simulator like yeah, I you mean, know, Stardew I, Valley, like pretty much anything. I, I'm an easy target yeah, for something sure. like that. Uh, I mean I guess there there are some some types of gameplay that are uh ruled out of like retro revival. You can't do like a first person shooter in a I guess you could. No is anyone gonna release like an original Wolfenstein three D clone, you know, now? I guess there was do you remember there was uh uh just like floating around a like Doom mod where it's all um Mega Man characters running around and they're all just like sprites oh, no, running that's around funny. in like a three D arena. Um but that's not that's not what we're seeing in, in any of these. The the like very f- basically no no first person games, um, and not like uh, you know there there are a lot of like the newer genres of game that like you're just not seeing in like the category of retro revival. Um, so like I do think there is some element of comfort to the kinds of games, just in addition to what they look like, right? But like how they how they play. Yeah, I mean, I think the how they play is the more than the genre. Mm. It's like the mechanics. Oh, that's interesting. That uh I'm looking for. So what what about the flip side of that? What kinds of things are you happy to see uh, a retro style game do that like they wouldn't have done back when you were playing like Super NES games? So for me, I feel like the uh distinction is that I don't know that I'm looking for anything new or innovative mm-hmm. in a lot of these like retro esque games. It's more that they are cleaning up the mechanics and not ma- repeating the mistakes of the past. Interesting, right? Do, so, you, have, do you have an example of well, that? Well, uh, I'm trying to think like specifically. Uh, I, I can say one that's like the opposite, which okay. was in Sonic Mania. I felt like the continue system was totally broken. Oh, yeah. I forgot that that was a part of Sonic Mania, that you had lives, A, first of all, and B, when you ran out of lives, you just had to, what, start over? Way back at the beginning of the zone. That's dumb. Yeah. And there were, like, two levels to each zone, so, like, you could have, yeah. That that wasn't right. Um, But, yeah, I mean, really what I'm looking for is, like, in something like Stardew Valley, did they reduce the friction? Yeah. Right? Did they like take a classic game and a classic idea and modernize the mechanics because they don't have the limitations, whatever they were, of that 16-bit system? Right. That they can just keep adding more suitors and more crops and animals and side quests and minerals. And even and... in the controls, there's more buttons now. So yeah. are they taking advantage of that? Right? Are they like doing all of those things to improve the quality of life of the game? So it's more the games that I, uh, how I wanted it to be or how i remember it versus the game it actually was um something interesting that i've noticed with these uh with these kinds of games is that i think they're using the 
like aesthetic and like the um sort of familiarity of the gameplay to sort of like Trojan horse in more like sophisticated ideas or like thematic concepts like uh, something like Celeste which deals with um is it like depression and anxiety and also like the difficulty of actually achieving what the game sets out like that ends up being a big part of what that game um like that game story is um I- I'm playing through Owlboy right now and <clears throat> I really like it I like Owlboy a lot um it was pitched uh to me as like a a metroidvania where you're flying around but like that sort of sells the game short it has it's there's so much story and so much dialogue in this game um and there were times when like my party of characters because you play as uh otis who is a mule mute owl uh who uh is friends with humans and a pirate and eventually uh, like a spider guy um amongst others and he like unlocks more powers basically by picking up his friends and flying around with them and they use their powers um but so you have like a a party of characters and there are times when it feels like uh you know chrono trigger or final fantasy 6 or something where like you're spending a lot of time with these characters and getting to know them um so like there's a story and like real flawed characters and like a real flawed society behind Owlboy and like it's a beautifully rendered like 8-bit or 16-bit style game with uh, mechanics that you're like yeah this is sort of Metroid and this is sort of uh, you know like a uh, like a, a shoot 'em up um, sort of like flying around game um, but it's also like there's so much more buried in the presentation under all of that stuff um, and so like I, I'm I'm wondering if there's well, I mean, this is not specifically on Nintendo platforms. In fact, sure. It hasn't appeared on Nintendo at all. But I feel like Braid was the first original example mm. of somebody taking that kind of like retro um, 2D platformer in s- style and then using it and kind of f- twisting it a little bit to... Yeah. It's like a style everybody was familiar with. And so it was an easy sell. And then to... Um, do something new with it. Sure, and, like say something. I mean, it. I guess, I guess the exception with Braid is that it's not uh visually like a like the the art in Braid is very um like hand drawn and beautiful, but like it, it obviously is taking a lot of cues from retro stuff, and it sort of just controls like a retro game, except you can rewind time forever. Um, so yeah, I wonder if like that is all and you know mentioned earlier that a lot of these games are indie games um so that they are you know passion projects of you know one measure or another and i wonder if people are just passionate small teams are passionate about different things than like large uh publishers are right well and i think in a lot of ways a small team can be in some in a in many instances for indie games they are just the product of one person yeah sure which is you know, in like big, Stardew Valley. For yeah, example. in big publishers, you don't see that. Axiom Verge is like another example, mm-hmm. right? It's like a single person, cave story, a single person that's uh, initially, anyways, was developing and programming these games a lot of times over five years, just as like a passion project for themselves. Yeah. And yeah, so you're, it's much easier to be the vision of one person than a 1,000 person team who's developing the most recent Assassin's Creed. Yeah. Um, Here's an interesting question. 
are all of these games uh trying to be fun primarily like i i think uh when we mentioned sonic mania on this list like sonic mania is just about having fun going fast remembering sonic right um but if we compare that to something like celeste or golf story or owlboy um these are games where like you will have fun but there's like a, a an experience that the game is trying to make you have right um and in something like celeste uh sometimes it is expressly not having fun right um and i found that in in playing owlboy too that there's um, like a level of difficulty sometimes with the boss fights where I'm like, I'm not having fun right now. Um, and eventually I get over it and, you know, figure out the patterns and, and uh, beat it. Um, so I guess it's a two-part question. One is, uh, are these kinds of games always aiming for fun in the same way? Um, and B, um, what about... Well, let, let's answer that first, and then I want to get back to the idea of difficulty in these games. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that they are... The answer to your first question is no, right? Yeah. They're but... not trying to have fun in the same way. There are the ones like Sonic Mania, or I would even say like Stardew Valley, um, the Thimbleweed Park, honestly, or Shovel Knight, mm-hmm. you know, where they are just being like, yeah, it's a video game. You know, sit yeah. down, learn the mechanics, enjoy it. There's going to be puzzles have the fun. and some of this stuff, but just have the fun. Right. And then there are the other games where they're looking to challenge you a little bit more, not necessarily in difficulty, but also with thematically. Right. Yeah, and I guess that's, uh, you know, we use the term challenging to sometimes to mean that it has challenging thematic material. So too can it be that the game itself is challenging. Like, no, no matter what, it is uh, engaging you in a way that's not uh, necessarily the same as, like, oh, you're playing... Uh, mighty gun vault burst for example you're having fun um now you have to like actually engage with it on a, a little bit more meaningful level but i think that the key to all of this is that any frustration that you're feeling uh or you know like any difficulty is mm-hmm. not from bad game design because i think that's a pitfall of i guess any game in general not just yeah. retro games well and and also that is uh something that this is a an I don't really know what to make of this, I guess. But uh, we obviously all grew up playing a lot of bad games, right? And games that are hard because they're bad. You ever play Back to the Future Part 2 and 3? It's one cartridge that's Part 2 and 3. It's an awful game. um, And because it's so bad, it feels like it's a very challenging game. And I don't know that I... I'm sure I have some warped nostalgia for that game and would either enjoy playing it or like be stimulated by the experience of like playing a bad game again. I think you would for a very short amount of yes. time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have purchased bad retro games. You have had a bad retro game gifted to you, sure. you know, on the SNES and you boot it up and you're like, our previous guest, Colin Morris bought me Beethoven second or Be- Beethoven's canine caper. Uh, based on Beethoven's second for the Super Nintendo. <laughs> and, you know, like, it's fine, and you laugh at it for a little bit, but it gets boring super fat. Fast. S- yeah. yeah. Super fat. 
Yeah, and I, I don't think any of the um, you know we we made ourselves uh, ourselves a little list of um, retro games to sort of like help kind of guide our conversation, just remind us of what games we've played on Switch and elsewhere. Um, and I don't think any of those games like have that it's difficult because it's bad quality to it. No, because that's just a bad game. That's just a bad game. But like obviously there are bad games coming out. And I guess I'm sure there are bad games coming out with like the retro aesthetic that we're just ignoring, um, because you know for whatever reason the cream actually does rise to the uh, top. I was gonna say the cream to the crop. That's not right. <laughs> but we uh, we're we're not we're not plugged into the uh, the retro looking games that are no good. Um, at least I don't I don't think we are. Do you think there are any of the any of these games that we have been attracted to that maybe we wouldn't be if they didn't look the way they looked? Um, like I think uh, it, it's possible that Golf Story would have been a little bit of a harder sell if it didn't look like a oh um, yeah sixteen bit RPG. I think that's a great example because I don't like golf games, mm-hmm. generally speaking, and. Uh, yeah, that's definitely one. Honestly, like, this has not come out yet, but something like Octopath Traveler. Sure. I don't know how much interested I would have in this game if it was, I mean, I don't even know if there's an analog to what it would be in the modern era. Yeah, no, that's a re- like, if everything was a, a fully, like, rendered 3D character model and everything. Yeah, that would be strange. Um, and also would be something that I could, like, safely ignore. Um. It's interesting because uh, Octopath Traveler is, you know, looks like it's basically a, a saga game, like Saga Frontier. And, you know, those, that game doesn't look anything like uh, Octopath Traveler, but is of very limited interest to me. Like, I've played, I have played the, started that game a bunch of times and abandoned it every time <laughs> um, because it's not super interesting. But this is, um, and I'm really looking forward to it. Um, but that's almost. I am excited about it because it is kind of a combination of new and old in in presentation. Um, there are some other games coming to Switch shortly that are taking on like the the sort of style. Um, Pocket Rumble, if we ever see it, uh, is uh, obviously looks like a Neo Geo Pocket or Neo. What's it? Is that right? Neo Geo Pocket. I think that's right. Um, a game and uh, Undertale is going to be coming to Switch at some point which is a, you know, looks like a 16-bit RPG. Um, and The Messenger, which is that ninja game that switches between 8-bit and 16-bit, which is just tickling, you know, two different things at once. I'm very excited about all of that. Well, I, I also want to touch on these games that I guess, like, promise uh, to reignite something from the past yeah. and then kind of fail a little bit and not necessarily to, like, drag them through the mud. But something like ukulele. Yeah. Right? Where it's like, we promise you a faithful Banjo-Kazooie sequel, basically, that we mm-hmm. never got to make before. And then it's here, and everyone's just kind of like, oh, I guess I didn't really want this anymore. I mean, the problem with ukulele, as far as I can tell, from the couple hours of it that I played, is that it they improved it in all the wrong ways. You know, they made... They made everything look nicer, polished everything up. Uh, it doesn't look anything like a Banjo Kazooie game, right? Like it's there are a ton of polygons to make up these characters and everything. 
Um, and you know, that dumb bear and that dumb bird look blocky and that's what I want, um, in playing a Banjo-Kazooie game. Uh, and instead they, they kept everything that's like run around this world and sort of mindlessly collect stuff instead of feeling like real purpose and like really exploring a, a space that is fun to explore, right? Like one of the things that make both Mario Odyssey and Breath of the Wild so intriguing is that like they figured out a way to make spaces fun to explore. Um, and part of that is just in excellent level design. Um, and part of it is just in like feeling like a real sense of progression in both those games. Um, and also just Mario's fun to move around. Like Mario's always fun to move. Um, is Banjo always fun to move? Nah. Are ukulele, are they fun to move? Nah. Um, so yeah, it's, I, I think just focusing on like the wrong parts to update. Um, but it, like, again, that falls under the category of those like late nineties, early two thousands games. Um, I don't know if there's like, have, have you encountered any, anything that you're like, ah, I wish they would have, I, you, you mentioned Sonic mania. Um, like, ah, I wish they would have updated the, the live system in this. Um, are there other things like that where you're like, ah, I wish we would have, I wish we would have been able to, you know, mature past this point for any of these uh, retro games? Well, I can't think of any off the top of my head, not because I don't think they don't exist, yeah, but just because in a lot of ways, the reason why you and I, we only play the games that come with some sort of a claim. Yeah. We're, we're, I'm not super adventurous when it comes to just like scrolling through the eShop, finding a game that I don't know anything about. Right. And just like based on look alone, just picking it up. Yeah. And that's that's a tough thing to do anyway. Like um, even if you were trying to look for games like these, a lot of these games don't use pixel art in their uh, like icon on the uh, Switch eShop. Um, I was like scrolling through the the games on my Switch to like make a list here, <clears throat> and I scrolled right past Blossom Tales because it looks like a cartoon on there, and I was just like, dum 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 dum, keep going. Like, no, 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 wait a minute, go back to that. That is basically Link's Awakening, <laughs> or, or not Link's. Uh, actually, it is a little bit like Link's Awakening, um, and a Link to the Past kind of rolled into one. Um, what was my point? What was I driving at? Mark, what were we saying? Oh, that we're not super adventurous when we're doing this. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think you're right that if, if uh, there are these games that aren't updating themselves um, and aren't, like, learning the right lessons, they're probably not going to come to anyone's um, attention. I also do just think it's interesting that... Do you feel like we... I guess we're starting to see some of these uh, late 90s, early 2000s remasters with Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and all that kind of stuff. But we're also seeing very recent remasters where games from like the PS3 era are being remastered for the PS4 and the Switch and stuff like that. But we're jumping this gap where a lot of games are just kind of... um, Yeah. We're not like revisiting. Yeah, so why, yeah, well, what is that, right? Like, why is it that we are, that pixel art seems okay to us and that we're, that we don't want to see improvement on that, but we do want to see improvement on the way um, early 3D games look and control for sure. Um, Well, it's like, but, you know, we have a Call of Duty 4 remaster. Yeah. Nobody's clamoring for Call of Duty 2. 
right? So is that just like a chunk of time where it well, it's some like of, remastering yeah. arcade games where you know it's like mm. so clunky in some regards, so undesirable in some regards that I mean, some of some of the like recent remasters are kind of just to make the last generation games playable on the current generation hardware. Um, you know, we're we're seeing that with um uh Wii U ports coming to the Switch, right? Like Nintendo's not immune from it. We're gonna see uh Tropical Freeze, Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze, um next month, June, May. May. Um and you know part of that is just like, well the game should be available on uh the, the newest hardware because it didn't find um as big an audience or it could just find a, that same audience again. Um and you know then we change Donkey Kong's nose <laughs> and uh, then it's a new game. Um but you know that's that's true of like The Last of Us was like that. Um BioShock Infinite. Bio yeah. Or Bio BioShock in general. Just the collection. Um yeah, so I I think that's part of um there's there's like a, a little bit of a a pull towards like backwards compatibility without just like doing it for real. Um, I guess outside of Xbox, which is just doing it for real, that if you pop an old Xbox 360 game into your Xbox One, it uh, can probably play it. Um, not all of them, but they are slowly building up the library uh, over time. All right. So I think that I think that's why there's a a, a little bit of a gap there. Um, but it is interesting that there's no. Uh, there's no real like effort being made to uh, bring eight bit or sixteen bit style games into like a modern aesthetic. Like, if anything, modern games are reaching back to borrow that older aesthetic. Well, also, there's no real effort to uh, like emulate the art style of the late '90s, early 2000s. Yeah, no like, one you have making a couple that low of games poly. like uh, isn't like Never Stop Sneaking. Oh, kind of in that know. style. I don't know. Let me look it up. Um, but yeah, like I feel like these remasters are just part of that idea that we want the games that we remember, not the games as they actually were. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that and that is absolutely true. And I mean, you know, like why, uh, why would we ever really want? I, so I'm I'm looking at Never Stop Sneaking now, and like it looks kind of low poly, but it's also not. Uh, I mean, it looks kind of like a, a pretty good-looking GameCube game, you know? Like, we're not... No one's trying to make uh, Mario 64 or a game that looks like that or a game that looks like the original Metal Gear Solid where, like, Solid Snake's face has, like, a sprite on it <laughs> because they, they're they like, oh, we can spare one polygon for his nose, but the rest of it has just got to be some weird little pixels on his face. Um, I, I, I guess I feel like maybe... What it boils down to is that the appeal of these retro, these new retro games, yeah, is that is was like the same sort of appeal that the Game Boy Advance had. Yes, uh, is that it's an opportunity for us to have a new version of the thing we love, right? Yeah. So it's like I will never be able to experience Super Mario World again. I'll never be able to experience uh, Mega Man, Mega Man, or like Final Fantasy VI for the first time, right? But I can buy these games that recapture that feeling. So do do we think it's about recapturing that feeling, or like is it just that um, we have established it has been established that like this is the visual language or a visual language of video games? Um, you know, all of these developers, 
Shovel, uh, the Yacht Club with Shovel Knight. I'm not going to name all the developers because that's. I just realized I introduced myself on like a suicide mission. <laughs> Quick, Patrick, try to name the developers of all these games. You can't do it. Um, but like uh, Stardew Valley or uh, Golf Story, they could have done these games with, uh, you know, like hand-drawn, like cartoony kind of graphics. Um, but instead they're like, no, the language of video games, the visual language of video games can be in pixel art. And so like, just in taking that it's like it does part of the marketing for you of like this is what a video game looks like um without having to like invent something new or like uh you know draw up a a style yeah i mean no i i think it's all of those things yeah i don't think it's i think like anything else they're created for different reasons or those choices are made for different reasons um if you're a small development team i'm sure it's much not easier but yeah, like super lazy. <laughs> but n- yeah, you know, th- not easier, but yeah, easier than doing mm-hmm. like a fully rendered 3D world. Oh, right? for sure. It takes yeah. a different amount of work. Yeah, um, I I also remember um reading a little bit back that uh that pixel artists weren't in that like the skill set for people working in pixel art um was becoming like a a rarer thing in video games and I wonder if that's just like at a certain level. Um that like that's why uh uh his name Igarashi Iga what's his name the guy the, the Castlevania, Castlevania guy yeah Bloodstained yeah so Bloodstained uh you know why isn't that game done in pixel art it's done in like uh in 3D models um because that's cheaper and because that's where or that's how they can uh that's the tool that's the skill set that they can use at the level that they're at same thing with like Mighty Number no. Nine. Um, that game probably would have been more successful if it just like stuck to a pixel art style. I mean, probably Mega Man Eleven. Yeah, Mega Man Eleven too. Well, we will see. Like, I am optimistic, but who knows? Capcom has come up, so but boo, Capcom. Uh, but they are choosing not yes. to uh, do pixel art, even yes. though you know uh, the last time they did was Mega Man Ten. Yep. Um, but no, it does feel like it's more of like a skill that people are learning for themselves. You know. Yeah. Versus something that you're taught how to do. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, okay. Do we are you ever afraid that you are like just attracted to a game because like is is there a dark side to this where you're like, oh, this game is just like a game I played or looks just like a game I played when I was a kid. Uh I'm just gonna play that and the whole thing feels regressive. Yeah, I think that's true, but that's something I worry about just in general. Sure. In my life, like... You and I were just making plans to see an Avengers movie. <laughs> yeah, seeing an Avengers movie. You know, I get so excited for the SNES Classic Edition. Yeah. Uh, And it's not so I can... It's not really so I can play new games. It's so I can play old games that I that are comfortable to me and, like, I'm familiar with. Right. And the, the newest game on my SNES Classic I've barely played... Because it's Star Fox 2. <laughs> Not a very good game. Yeah, and so, yeah, I, I, think, I think there is the, the, always the risk of that. Yeah. Um, but also, don't we play games for that comfort? Oh, boy. Probably, yes. Uh, yeah, games are, in, in some sense, escapism. So maybe that's uh, sort of dovetailing with the point that, like, some of these games are, uh, you know getting themselves or ingratiating themselves to you as escapism uh but then hitting you with something a little bit more meaningful 
or something a little bit more challenging. And I don't mean like in terms of gameplay, but in terms of like theme and story and stuff. All right, Mark, I think that was a good conversation about uh, retro revival stuff, but we probably have listeners who are sick of hearing about Shovel Knight. First of all, if you're sick of hearing about Shovel Knight, don't listen to this show. Wrong show. We, I will bring it up. And I guess maybe I am talking to Mark. <laughs> uh, but we would love to hear your opinions. What excites you about uh, retro, revi- retro revival games? Rut-row. Rut-row. What frustrates you about the retro revival games? Um, and, and all that good stuff. Um, we would love to hear your thoughts. You can email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. All right, Mark, let's close this up. And that is going to do it for this episode of the show. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff on Apple Podcasts. We would like to get to E3, where we will probably see some retro-style games, right? It, undoubtedly. Uh, it'll, it'll, they'll be there. Uh, so if you would do that, that'd be great. We can get them 50 reviews. Someone can tell us. Maybe next year, boys. It'll be great. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I am at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell. Collectively, we are at Nincart Society. You can check out the Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Um, and if you like Mark and mine's opinions, oh, I'm just going to plug it one more time. Please uh, give us your Nintendo n- n- uh, Game Boy Classic Edition list uh, by uh, Sunday afternoon. We want to get as many, uh, as many lists in here as we can. And really have fun with it. And yeah, with and thank you, you to everybody who has already sent them in. We love it. Um, it every time one comes in, I get excited. Um, and man, there are some people whose opinions I disagree with, and I can't wait to debate a straw man version of them on this show. <laughs> they can't argue back. If you like Mark and Mind's opinions, we write about comics on RecconPunch.com. Olivia Duncan made our logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape Betty. You can check out his music by going to ApeBetty.com or by listening right now. For my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying thanks for listening. Campfire.